0: The scripture reading today is from Colossians 3, 5 through 17. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So one thing we've seen as we've made our way through Colossians, that uh, becoming a Christian really involves entering a whole new way of life. Becoming a Christian involves entering a new mode of existence, or as Jesus says, It involves entering a new kingdom, and if that's true, which it is, we can understand that changing your life culture in such a radical way is something that takes getting used to. It's not that different from a cross-cultural experience, from growing up in one sort of culture and then for the first time entering into a radically different environment. That's something that happened to me when I graduated from college and went to Philadelphia to study at seminary. And the seminary that I went to is 50% non-American. And I found myself as a young single guy who had his whole life lived in Texas, interacting for the first time with people from very, very different cultures. Nigerians, South Koreans, Irish men and women, and the most different, people from Philadelphia, And what I realized is that their world is very, very different than my world. It took a good bit of getting used to. The food was different. There's no good Tex-Mex in Philadelphia, just so you know. Um, The way people interact is different. The sports teams, sadly, are different. There's a lot of differences. And it took me some time to understand the way of life that they were used to because, again, it was like entering a different mode of existence. Growing as a Christian in love for God and in love for neighbor means more and more getting comfortable in the characteristics and habits and patterns of what Paul calls elsewhere the new humanity. The new humanity of the people of God, your new family as a Christian. That's something that Paul was very concerned that these ancient Christians in the city of Colossae understand. And it's something that the Holy Spirit wants you today to understand as well. Last week, at the very beginning of Colossians 3, we saw Paul tell us about the power for real change in our lives. And we saw that the power for change is in believing the gospel. That our identity is so wrapped up in who Jesus is... That what is true of Jesus is also true of us. We are dead to the power and guilt of sin. We have been raised to life in Christ and are empowered by the spirit of Christ right now for change. And so because that is true, we really are able to be different people. We're able to to get comfortable in our new identity. But that is a process. The change into holiness takes a lifetime. But for every Christian who's experiencing gospel change, there's always a reality going on in our hearts. It's like, it's like a combustion cycle in our hearts. And if this cycle is going, then change is happening. And if the cycle's not going, then change is probably being stifled. And the combustion cycle of the Christian life involves two parts. The first is repentance, and the second is faith. Or as Paul puts it, Here in Colossians 3, the Christian life is in large part putting off evil and putting on our new identity. That's another way that he talks about change here in these verses. And that's our theme this morning. So as we explore these verses together, I want to summarize Colossians 3, 5 through 17 for you with this main idea. Here's what Paul wants to communicate and what God wants to communicate. Because we are in Christ, we can put off sin. And put on holiness. You might have noticed as Sam read that you can divide this text into two big paragraphs. The first is about what we are to put off or put to death. And the second is about what we are to put on. And so those are going to be our two points for the morning. First, Paul tells us to put things to death or to put things off. That's what that first paragraph, verse 5 through verse 11, is about. It's about taking off our old way of life. Martin Luther, the famous reformer, in the first of his 95 theses said that all of life should be one of repentance. All of life should be one of repentance. Now that's hard for us because if we've grown up around church, we tend to think that we should only repent when we've done something really, really bad. But otherwise, we're good to go. But what this text communicates to us and what the whole of the scripture communicates is that what it means to be a Christian is to live a life of daily repentance, or in other words, to put things off. Look at what he says in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And in verse 7, or excuse me, verse 8, put these things all away. And then he gives us a list of sinful habits and dispositions that we are supposed to put to death or to put off. And you can break that list really into two big sections The first section is in verse 6 and 7, and it refers to sexual immorality. Now, there's five words that Paul uses there in verse 5, and the words go from specific to more general. So the most general word is covetousness, and the most specific is the first one, sexual immorality. Now, that phrase, sexual immorality, is a translation from one Greek word, and the word is porneia, porneia. That's where we get our word pornography from, for example. Now, pornea was what I call a junk drawer term. It means all kinds of different things from which uh, we understand all sorts of different sexual, sexually illicit things in our age. But one way to sum it up is to say that sexual immorality here refers, refers to any sexual practice outside Of the God-given confines of sex in marriage between one man and one woman. What does Paul say about that in verse 5? He says, kill this. Kill it. Put it to death. Kill sexual immorality. And he gives us two reasons why. First, verse 6. The wrath of God. The wrath of God is coming because of this. In other words, God, because he's just and righteous, and good, is indignant at that culture's, and at our culture's, rampant sexual perversion. Human sexuality is a good, and a very powerful, gift from God, designed to bring God honor and glory. Yet, since the very beginning until today, humans have made a huge mess of this great gift, And what this perversion of God's good gift does is destroy image bearers whom God loves, including ourselves. It dehumanizes those who have been objectified sexually, and it dehumanizes those who objectify. One of the great idols of our hearts, verse 6 says these things are idolatry, is sexual immorality. And not only does that idol leave us empty, but it will also, we see here very clearly, bring the judgments of a holy God Secondly, Paul says, verse 7, we put to death sexual immorality because we have already been released from its power. Look at verse 7. In these, you too once walked, past tense, when you were living in them. But now, by implication, we don't walk in that anymore. Remember last week, the illustration I gave for Christian growth it's when my dad used to tell me, Luke, act your age. Act your age. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that in Jesus, you've been delivered from this. You've been freed from the grip of porneia. So take off those old, ragged, dirty clothes. Put this stuff to death. Jesus died on the cross. His blood was shed. His spirit was given to free you from the power of porneia. You were raised with Christ. Better things await you than the false promises of porn, of illicit sex. That's not who you are any longer, Paul says. Believe that that's the case. Let me just tell you something, frankly, friends. When we believe we can mess around with sexual immorality and that it's not going to dominate and destroy us, we're believing a lie from the pit of hell. I'm speaking to men in particular. Don't think, men, don't think that you can dabble in pornography or some new app on your phone or in fantasizing or whatever it is and that you can control it by your own willpower. Don't treat sexual immorality like it's some sort of pet that can be tamed and managed and controlled. That stuff has to be killed by the Spirit or it's going to kill you. You know, it's like thinking that we can take a lion Or a grizzly bear. When that bear is so cute and cuddly as a little puppy grizzly bear, baby grizzly bear, and we can raise it up and that it's not eventually going to devour us. You know, that's how you end up on that show when animals attack, right? You've seen this. People end up putting their heads inside of the mouth of some lion. It's insanity. And before they know it, they're dead. Their whole family's dead. It's craziness. You think he was so cute. I raised him from the time he was a kitten. Listen, that lion is not a kitten. It's an apex predator. There's one thing apex predators do. They kill stuff. That's all apex predators do. They eat things. Nothing eats them. They eat everything else. That's the way it works. Sexual immorality is an apex predator in our culture. Don't think you can mess around with it or flirt with it or tame it. Kill it because you're already dead to it. Secondly, secondly, there's another cluster of words. Verse 8 And these words are all about anger. Anger, Paul tells us again, look there. Put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So Paul's saying that anger is another super destructive aspect of our old selves. He's saying take those old dirty clothes off. Uh, Victor Hugo, the author of Les Miserables, actually coined the term which i'm sure you've heard loose cannon loose cannon i've used that term before but i never really knew where it comes from until this week when i was reading about this you know in the 17th and 18th century on warships they would of course place actual cannons and they would take the cannons off the deck and they would put them down on a second level and they would put windows in the ship to shoot the cannons out of and the cannons were on wheels so they can move them easily But when one of those cannons got loose on the ship, that could obviously be a big problem, right? And uh, if a cannon broke loose in a storm and the ship pitched, the cannon would have to be tied down below deck because it could punch holes in the ship and wreck the ship from the inside. The cannon was there for defense, but it could cause the ship to sink internally. And I like that image because it describes anger perfectly. What Paul's saying here is that we all have a loose cannon in our hearts. We all have a loose cannon in our hearts, and it's called anger. Anger is actually a gift that's supposed to be there for our defense. It's the natural way we respond to threat and to injustice. But we can destroy ourselves from the inside if it's uncontrolled, if it's untethered. You know, there's a lot of things Paul could have listed here. A lot of things he could tell us to put off. Why do you think he includes anger? Why do you think Paul focuses on that? I think it's because anger is one of the main ways that we self-worship. It's one of the main ways that the self-worship of our hearts is revealed. It's one of the main ways that we practically deny the truth of the gospel and the truth of who we are in our lives. David Powlison has written a book called Good and Angry. It's a great book on anger. And I want you to listen to this quote. Here's what he writes Poke your way into every example of bad anger, and you'll find God playing. Whether I'm really ticked off, just a little irritated, or deeply embittered, it's all about Almighty me. Anger is demanding and entitled. This is what I want. My will be done. It's superior. The world and all that is in it are subject to me. All persons, objects, and events are subject to my opinion and evaluation. I think that's true. I think that's honing in on something that's deeply resonant with all of us if we're honest. Anger is the result of our undying desire to be in control, to be the center. Are you angry? let me help you. The answer is yes. Yes. Do you struggle with bitterness? With blind rages? With harsh tones? With condemning words? Listen, all of us wrestle with this. And scripture teaches us here that the gospel is the only power that can free you from your anger. And it has freed you. So how can you live in that freedom? How can you take off the old clothes of anger? Listen again to what Paulison writes. Angry people always talk to the wrong person. They talk to themselves, rehearsing the failings of others. They talk to the people they're mad at, reaming them out for real and imaginary failings. They talk to people who aren't even involved, gossiping and slandering. But chaotic, sinful, headstrong anger dissolves when you begin to talk to the right person, to your good shepherd who sees hears, and is mercifully involved in your life. What's Paulison saying? He's saying that anger is killed when you rehearse the gospel to yourself, when you speak to yourself what is true instead of remembering what you're so mad about. When you tell yourself, God sent Jesus to die for this anger out of love for me. God is with me. He's my good shepherd. God's not going to fail me. He's not going to let me go. In this circumstance that I'm mad about, God's working for my good. I can trust God when I'm betrayed, when I'm hurt, when I'm mad at the world. Jesus has died for these things. This isn't who I am any longer. Then you can take some deep breaths. Maybe get a meditation app on your phone, something like that. Repent. Repent. And belief. Guys, that's hard. I'll be honest with you, this week, this week, Thursday morning, I just finished writing this sermon. And I was taking a Valentine's Day lunch to Marianne at work, and this guy cut me off on the access road of sixteen oh four going south, and I went nuts. Started honking, flashing my brights, yelling at the guy. I hope he wasn't one of you. That would be bad bad anyway. And I was coming on to 1604 South and I thought, oh my gosh, I just wrote a paragraph about anger. I'm untethered. I'm a loose cannon right now. And so on the way in the car, I had to tell myself, okay, that guy cutting me off is not that big a deal. God's for me. God loves me. I'm dead to this. I don't have to react that way. And I had to confess that to God. Being aware of these things and speaking the truth to yourself, that's how you overcome anger. Because anger can be a loose cannon. Put off, put to death, sexual immorality, put to death, anger. Secondly, Paul says, verses 12 through 17, what to put on. Look at verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now, notice again there, notice that what grounds this, what empowers this is who we already are in Jesus through the gospel. Paul never says, the Bible never says, to become God's chosen holy ones, do this. Is that what that says? Someone please say no. No, that is not what that says. Thank you for your participation in the sermon this morning. He always says, you are already God's chosen ones. You're already holy and beloved by him, so live like it. The gospel is the engine the gospel's the power. So let's quickly look at three things. Three things we're going to put on. First, verse 13. Forgiveness. Look at that verse. Bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Here's the bottom line. People who really have been changed by Jesus are people who forgive. People who have been changed by Jesus... And who are changing into Jesus' image are people who forgive. Forgiveness is an indelible mark of someone who's been forgiven. Jesus tells a really provocative story about this in Matthew 18. It's the parable of the unforgiving servant. You remember that story? He tells a story about this guy who owes his master 10,000 talents. That's like, you know, a gajillion dollars. Or as Ben says, a drillion dollars. Did you know that drillion trillion is what comes after trillion? That's what Ben has told me. It's a trillion dollars this guy owes. A sum of money that he could never even come close to repaying. And he can't repay his master the debt. And so he goes to the master and he begs him that he won't throw him and his whole family into jail. And what does the master do? He forgives him. A debt of 10,000 talents. And then this guy leaves his master's house and he goes out and he finds a dude that owes him like a hundred bucks. And he chokes him out right there on the side of the road, saying, you better give me my money pronto. And what does Jesus say at the end of that story? Matthew 18, 35, after this guy is thrown into debtor's prison, Jesus says, so my father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The bottom line is if you understand what the gospel says about the depth of your own sin, and what the gospel says about the depth of God's love, you will forgive. Does that mean your relationship with someone who has grieved you seriously is going to be the exact same as it was before that? No. But it does mean that you must forgive them because we have a debt that we could never pay before God. And Jesus Christ has paid it for us by dying In our place, God has freely forgiven us of our infinite offense against his own goodness so we can forgive others of much slighter offenses. It's worth thinking about. I think it's worth thinking about the beauty of a community where forgiveness is the norm. Have you ever been in a community like that? I hope our church is like that. The beauty of a community where forgiveness of the norm is the norm. How much better is it for you personally, just really practically, how much better is it for your emotional health to not carry the crushing burden of grudges? To not refuse to speak to people who have hurt you. To not hold hatred in your heart towards those with whom you have had conflict. Anne Lamont, I've quoted her here before. She says, not forgiving is like when you drink rat poison and then wait for the rat to die. And I think she's right. So Paul says, put on forgiveness. Unforgiving hearts are not the consequence of unforgivable acts. Unforgiving hearts are the consequence of unbelieving hearts. Is there someone that you need to forgive? Is there a grudge that you need to let go? Put on forgiveness. Be who you are. Secondly, verse 14, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What Paul's saying here is that everything else flows out of a loving heart. Jesus says in John 13, a new commandment I give you, love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Paul says love is what binds everything else together. Love is like the super glue. It's the super glue of Christian character. It's not so much a character trait itself as it is the inner disposition of our soul that produces all the other character traits that God wants. And I find that to be really illuminating. You know, if you think about like Paul's most famous verses in the Bible on love, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. Very often read in weddings, you can say that love is what generates all the other attributes listed there. We're patient with others because we love them and we want to forgive them. We're kind with others. Because we love them and want to help them. We don't envy the possessions or the gifts of others because we love them and we want them to have the best. We don't boast about our own attainments because we love others and we want to hear about their attainments. We're not proud because we love others and want to esteem them before ourselves. We're not rude because we love others and we care about their feelings. And on and on it goes. So thinking very practically... One thing we see all the time here is that the Bible reads you more than you read the Bible. So the Bible's reading your heart right now. Perhaps the Holy Spirit is asking you through this text to meditate on those verses in 1 Corinthians 13. And then ask yourself if there's someone that you have not treated with love. Maybe you'll realize that you've been envious towards someone or that you've been rude and thoughtless towards someone. Those people probably live with you, just FYI. They're probably in your house. Uh, What does it mean to grow? Well, it means confess those things. Confess those things specifically to the Lord and then seek to love those people. Love is a matter of both emotion and action. What areas in your life can you grow in love? Who in your life needs this greatest of all Christian virtues right now from you? Put those things on, Paul says. You already have the power. The Spirit's already with you put them on. Lastly, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. Put on peace. Peace. We live out our new identity by acting out of the reality that the gospel has already made peace between God and us vertically and between us and others with whom we formerly had conflict horizontally. That's what verse 11 means, by the way, where Paul says, Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Folks, what can be more needed in our fractured, polarized society than peace? Does your life reflect the peace of God? Do you live at peace with others? How can you practically put on peace in your life today? You know, I love this quote from N.T. Wright in his Colossians commentary. Listen to what he says. These distinctions of verse 11 have become irrelevant in Christ. The powers of the world did indeed hold the human race in their grip as men and women allowed their habits of thought and action to be dominated by them. Paul's counterclaim is that difference of background, nationality, color, Language, social standing, and so forth must be regarded irrelevant to the question of love and peace. This text tells us that nobody must allow prejudices from their pre Christian days to distort the new humanity which God has created in and through the new man, Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel does in us, you see. It enables us to put these things on forgiveness and love and peace. It gives us the power to shed our old selves and live as the new humanity that we are in Jesus. So, friends, live and grow in these truths this week. Put off sexual immorality. Put off anger. Put on forgiveness. Put on love. Put on peace. And the Spirit will reveal to you as you seek him ways in which you can do that even today you've been given a new identity in the gospel be who you are about a month ago I did a wedding uh, for some folks that aren't a part of the church and it was on a Sunday afternoon and I was getting ready to do the wedding and getting dressed and as you know I'm not a big fan of wearing suits I don't ever wear a suit here and uh, I haven't worn a suit in some time but I had to wear a suit for the wedding and uh, the day of reckoning has arrived for me friends I got the suit out and put it on and couldn't breathe. Did not fit me at all, and I'm like, I'm still pretty skinny, but I'm not as skinny as I once was. Apparently, because that suit's just been sitting in the closet for some time. So I dusted it off, put it on, and, uh, could not get there. Now, that's the way our old life should feel. More and more and more, as we grow in the grace of Jesus Christ through the power of His Holy Spirit, we should be more and more uncomfortable in our old selves in our old culture, and more and more at home in who we already are in Christ. May that be the case with us. Love you. Let's pray.